Will you please turn with me in your Bible to Psalm 139? Psalm 139. There's Bibles on the back table if you need one. We're going to read this psalm together. It's got several verses. It's a great psalm. We're going to read the whole thing. And then we'll continue on with with what the Lord's going to show us this morning. But these psalms were really songs that were sung. Uh, This was like the hymn book of ancient Israel, if you will. As they're coming to the Lord in worship, these were mostly actually put to music and were actually songs. But as we read it now, just think about what effect this song would have on somebody who's in the congregation reading it. Maybe they're going through good times or they're going through bad times. Uh, But let's just think about what the effect is that this would have. Here's what Psalm 139 says. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I am awake. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies, they take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. The word of the Lord. It's a great psalm, isn't it? What what stands out to you in this psalm? You can actually answer. It's okay. What stands out to you in this psalm as we're reading it together? He's really big. Yeah, we're small. That's, yeah, that's good insight. Anybody else? What are, yes. Yes. And amazingly, he has this knowledge already of what's in you. And so the psalmist is saying, search me and know me. See what's in me. But from the very beginning, he said, 
you know me completely. Even before the words come out of my mouth, you know what they are. And God has a division, doesn't he, between those who he loves and those who hate him. Yeah, true. Anything else? He owns us. He's the creator. He created us. And carefully, he didn't just throw us together. He's not a, you know, we're not an old Pontiac that he's just throwing parts on. I don't know why I chose Pontiac, but it seemed good. Yeah, something is true. And Yes. Yes. Yeah. He, yeah, he numbers our days. True. Is that comforting or not comforting? It depends how you look at it, right? So if you know him, if you trust him and know him, and he's good, and he, I mean, the, when the psalmist says, anywhere I go, you're with me, does he say that like, anywhere I go, I can't escape from you? Does he mean it that way? No, he means I could be in utter death and destruction, and you're there with me. I could be in the greatest places, and you're there with me. And so what a comfort to know you hold my days in your hand because his hand is bigger than ours, stronger than ours. Yeah, anything else? Yeah, I think um, the intimacy that we see in the psalm between ourselves and God and just complete and full, undiluted knowledge of us, mm -hmm. and yet inviting us to be with him yeah. and that we could say we know him. Yeah. And the only way that could be possible is if he reveals himself. That's true. So one of the greatest joys that we have as Christians is that God took the initiative to reveal himself to us. Amen. In creation. It's incredible. In his word and by his spirit. Mm -hmm. And then finally, the imprecatory psalm at the end, where there's a gigantic statement that God would avenge mm -hmm. us from enemies mm -hmm. and that God would deal with them in his righteousness. Yeah. Which is a powerful. Very powerful. Thing to pray mm -hmm. when your enemies are so vast. Yeah. And, uh, so with great boldness, he speaks of that intimacy and that final conclusion of God dealing with our enemies. Amen. That's good. Yeah. Praise God. Isn't it good that God sought us out? How could we ever find a way to him? We can't without him. It's amazing. How would, does this imprecatory psalm at the end, this prayer against people make you uncomfortable? You don't have to answer that out loud. Does it make you uncomfortable? Because sometimes, especially in our culture, you're not. You're just supposed to accept everybody and love everybody. And you're never supposed to speak against people. But the context here is also important. Who's written this psalm? Tells you at the very beginning here. It's a psalm of David. Who's David? King of Israel, right? Which, what kind of enemies do you think he's talking about? It says people who speak against the Lord mm -hmm. with malicious intent. I was just thinking about this. You know, Jesus says, some people say, hate your enemy or whatever. And he says, but I thought you love your enemy. And here we've got this song saying, I hate these people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But who is it? It's, it's not just anyone. It's not people that are 
Yes. Yes. Yeah. True. What does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? To not re- regard him with honor and that's due him, right? Yes. Um, so a lot of times we teach our kids like the way that you uh, exclaim things. Oh man! But if you're calling on the Lord, are you actually calling on him, or are you just using his name in vain? Um, there's another way to use God's name in vain. And if you are leading a country that knows the Lord because you're the Israelites and your whole country is built around the religion of your country being following God and leaders of that country are using the Lord's name in vain, it can also look like this. The Lord tells us we should attack these people. The Lord's with us if we do this. The Lord surely wants us to do these things. And so to take the Lord's name in vain can mean just exclaiming things. It can also mean you're trying to use him as an excuse to do your own methods and your own uh, desires. And if you are in a position of power, the king of the nation, and there's advisors and people around you who are literally, you know, David fought wars most of his life, was fighting against like real bloodshed and bad stuff happening. So these are not small things. These are policies that are affecting people. And if you have enemies around you who are wicked in their intent and who are using the Lord's name in vain to try to accomplish political means that's affecting the entire nation of the people of God, that's a different kind of feel for saying, I hate those who use your name in vain. It's not just I hate it when people say, you know, like curse words. It's also I hate it when there's people who are pretending and using you as an excuse to do wickedness because they don't know you and they will not bow the knee to you. I hate that. And I cannot stand for it. I will fight against them. And so now as the king, can you feel why he's saying, I'm going to fight those guys? This is basically what he's saying. And, Lord, you come down in your righteousness and deal with them. And he doesn't say, oh, just help them. He says, will you slay those wicked people? Because it's also affecting the entire nation. So this is a different thing. This, and I'm saying this to us because a lot of times when we read this, we think about things in our life. Like I have a tire that keeps going flat right now. It's got a slow leak in it. And I need to take it into one of the tire places. And so I just haven't done it yet, but I need to do that. And so sometimes we read this and we're like, yeah, that tire. Slay that wicked tire. It's not doing what I want it to do. And then we get that way. Or man, that guy that's always giving me a hard time and calling me dummy dum dum at work. Yeah, that guy. That's not what this is talking about. And that's important because Jesus now saying, love your enemies. Who's he talking to when he says that? He's talking about Jewish people who are oppressed by Romans and telling them that they should carry my bag and you're going to do what I say and this belongs to me now and they're, they're an oppressed people. And Jesus is saying, love your enemies and demonstrate to them what my kingdom looks like. That's very different than David who's praying this, saying, Lord, bring your righteousness to slay these enemies. And I'm telling us that because sometimes our heart, our heart can get wishy-washy in the, terms of, in the things of God, and suddenly we, we can take the Lord's name in vain if we're not careful. The Lord is not talking about slaying our problems. He's talking about rooting out unrighteousness and rooting out evil. Now, how does that happen in our day? Because the Bible tells us we don't fight against flesh and blood. What does it tell us? 
principalities and powers. So if you're praying, Lord, assassinate Putin, maybe change that prayer. Seriously. And say, Lord, change everybody's heart. Save them all, that they would see you and know you. and change. Lord, come into that situation where there's any unrighteousness. Lord, I pray that you would move on it and that you do things. Now, when God does that, it suddenly, a lot of times, looks like violence. But it doesn't mean that we're going to be out there doing violence to people. Does that make sense? Okay, everybody, everybody all right? Everybody's good? Well, the Bible's raw. It's surreal. That's good. Any other things that stand out to you? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It gives us such security to read those verses. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. And ready, Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And it's the same. It's the same vein. How wonderful. How wonderful. Will you turn with me in your Bible, please, to Genesis chapter 2? Genesis chapter 2. It's Mother's Day today, and I've been thinking about what I would love to say to my girls. I have three girls, um, not just for their mom or for my mom, but for my girls as we think about Mother's Day and the blessing that it is, to know their Lord's hand upon them as they go through life. Um, Isn't it funny how time goes so fast? Can you remember being like 16, 15, 16, and you just couldn't wait till you're finally... (laughs) <laughs> the 15, 16 year olds are like, yeah, okay. Can you remember being that age, though, and you can't wait until you're like, when I'm 18, I'm going to do this. And uh, like, my life will begin, and everything's going to be great. And then all of a sudden, you're 30. You're like, what happened? What? Where did that go? And, you're, and then when you, all of a sudden, you're on that side of it, and you're like, man, I wish I would have back then. It's really, isn't that funny how time flies? It's an interesting thing. So I'm thinking about my girls. And I have a 10-year-old girl, Nora, who's lovely right here. And then we have a 5-year-old girl who will be 6 tomorrow. Very exciting. And then we also have a 2-year-old girl. And I was thinking about how the Lord made us. And so in Psalm 139, it talks about how the Lord knit us together in our mother's womb. How incredible is that? We're going to look at Genesis 2 right now. And we're going to read this account of how God forms Eve, who's the first woman, and what he did. So let's look at Genesis 2 together, starting at verse 18. Then the Lord said, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Because he's made Adam, he's put him in a garden, a beautiful garden, lush with food, everything he needs to live. He's uh, speaking to Adam, and he's alone. Adam is alone. And so God decides, I want to do something here. And so he says here at the end of verse 18, I will make him a helper fit for him. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. 
And the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took out one of his ribs and he closed up the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. That word there is abide. It's the same word that John uses in the New Testament, talking about abiding in Christ. Abide to his wife, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Praise God. You know, that's what marriage should be really, isn't it? Naked and unashamed. Your, your whole self is bared to somebody. And I'm not talking about just physically. Your whole self, your whole personality, your whole everything, without shame. That's a good thing. You know, and this story is a little bit different than what we read in the psalm of how David was knit together in his mother's womb. But notice here what God does when he makes all these creatures. How does he make the regular creatures? What does he do? Dirt. He takes the mud, the earth, he forms them. Like, I don't know, the Bible is not a textbook. It doesn't tell us exactly how God does this. But in my imagination, I think, well, I mean, it's like he made cool little statues. Like, good, boom, horse. I don't know, cool. God does that with people, too, with man. So he takes Adam, and he takes a clump of clay of dirt, and he makes and forms this guy out of it. How is Adam made alive? We didn't, it's in chapter 1. We didn't read that here. He breathes into him the breath of life, and Adam becomes alive. How incredible. So it's almost really you could translate that he kisses Adam and comes to life as breath enters his body. Now that is special. You know, God has shown us that Adam and Eve, but Adam in this first part before Eve comes, is special in creation because the other animals, the other things become alive, but they don't have the breath of God into them. They're not kissed by God to come alive. And so other animals, yes, formed out of the ground too, but man is special. Not only that, but the Bible tells us that man, male and female both, are made in his image. Now, this is really important because especially in this time period, Genesis was written for us, you and me, but it was also written for a specific audience. And God gave this book, Genesis, to Moses, who is recording it and telling it to the people of Israel as they come out of slavery from Egypt. And for 400 years, the Israelites have been enslaved in Egypt doing hard labor and for 400 years, they have lost all the knowledge of who they are. If after 400 years, you culturally become similar to where you're living. So when the Israelites leave Egypt, they're way more Egyptian than they are Israelite. This is one of the reasons that you know, if you're a good Bible student, about the, uh, the Israelites coming out and they come to Sinai and Moses goes up to meet with God and get the law. And what do the Israelites do? They immediately make a golden calf. And they, they do this thing. And even Aaron, the high priest, he says, I took gold from all the people and I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. I don't really even know how that happened. And the problem is they're more 
Egyptian than they are Israelite. And they've met God, but now God is meeting with the prophet Moses up on the mountain, and they're afraid. <coughs> and in their fear, they resort to Egyptian ways of doing things, and they say, you know what, if we had an idol here, that, then we're protected and we kind of know what to do with that. And so not only do they make the idol, but they say, this is the idol. This is the God that we've met, Yahweh, who's delivered us from slavery. God does not like that. It's not okay. Why is that not okay? Because we'll have, he'll have no images before himself. There's only one God. He's it. And so there's things that happen there. But I'm telling you that because this is the people who are receiving now this story. And they're receiving this account of creation and it's challenging everything that they know about life. Because in the Egyptian culture, there's only one person who's in the image of God, and that's Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh was understood to be, the king of, of Egypt was understood to be the son of their head god, the sun god. And so he was the son of God, he was the image of God, and so he ruled over the people. But now they're learning that God made all people in his image, which is astounding. Because people are special. If you've been a slave and your father was a slave, your mother was a slave, your grandmother was a slave, your great-grandmother, your great-great-grandmother, your great-great-great-grandmother were slaves. And now you hear that all of them and you were made in the image of the creator God who formed the, the earth, who delivered you from slavery with mighty works and waves and locusts and darkness. And I mean, it was dramatic what God did to save them. That would be incredible, wouldn't it? And so now they're hearing that. Not only do they know that, but also in the Egyptian culture, but really in the ancient Near East throughout all these cultures, there was a, a known way of doing things that we still do today. And the way that you to demonstrate the extent of your kingdom is to put an image at the extent of your borders. We do that today because if you look at any money we have, it's got an image of a ruler of some kind. So if you look at our dollars, you know who's on them, right? And anywhere that dollar goes, it doesn't just say, this is legal tender for us. It also says, this demonstrates the power of our nation to do economies, to do commerce, to do things. And so the extent of our rule is where we put our image. In the ancient Near East, they literally built statues. And they put statues at the extent of their borders so that as you're coming into those borders, you see a statue and be like, oh, whoa, this, okay, we're coming, we're, hey everybody, we're passing into Egypt now. This is now Egypt. Because you see the statue. It's like those signs that say, hey, you're leaving Missouri. You're now in Illinois. God help you. <laughs> turn around, come right back. Feel oh, freedom again. It's, yeah. But that's what, that's what they would do, though. And so they would put these statues places. And so now, not only are people hearing for the first time, you have worth beyond the labor that you give us. Because what does the slave do? They work and they die. They're as valuable to you as the work that they can do. And that's it. And if they're not good at the work, they're not really valuable. In fact, one of the reasons that God had heard the cry of the Israelites was because Pharaoh, fearing that this people of Israel was getting strong, had made an edict that all the male babies were to be thrown in the Nile and drowned. And so babies are being murdered 
generation is being snuffed out. And the people are crying out to God saying, Lord, save us, deliver us. Because people that are slaves are only as good as the work that they can do. They're not worth anything, really, to Pharaoh. And it's proven by how they treat these babies. And now, the people are hearing, having come from that situation and seeing God's salvation, now they're hearing not only were they created in the image of God to be image bearers, but also they're understanding that at the extent of God's kingdom, he has made animals, he's made trees, he's made all these things, birds of the air, but he's also put his image so that anyone who comes into that garden will see and know immediately this belongs to God. And the incredible thing is, it's not just a statue that says, you're passing into Illinois. It's a living, breathing woman. It's a living, breathing man who walk around and everywhere they step, it belongs to God, belongs to God, belongs to God, belongs to God. I'm about to go there, that belongs to God, belongs to God. Everywhere, the boundaries have been set, which is going to fill the whole creation. And that's incredible. And now these former slaves are hearing in their redemption that this is really their destiny. And not only that, but we have this cool story here in chapter 2, verse 18 that we just read, where the woman is formed in a special way. You know, if the Bible says everything was made this way, but Adam, God breathed into him, that shows some special stuff for Adam. But how did he make the woman? He took the man, he put him into a deep sleep because there's no helper suitable for him. He's not complete yet. And he does surgery on this man to take a piece. So she wasn't made out of the dust. I mean, she was in a way because he was. She was made out of living flesh. And she was set here and formed and made into this woman and then brought by God special to say, here you go, son. What does that tell you about women? The care and the love and concern that God has for his daughters is astounding. It's astounding. And the ethic now of a people who would abuse women all the time, where men were the only ones that were really had any importance, where men were the only ones who really ever did anything, now God has shown how carefully he's made his daughters and how he expects the men to love them like he does. We even see it in Adam's response, don't we? Adam's response here is not just, oh, wow, neat, she's pretty. Wow, great job, God. He doesn't say that. What does he say? At last, this bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. In other words, I'm going to treat her just like I would treat my own body. She came out of me. And somehow, not somehow, in sin, in the fall, everything gets skewed. Everything gets skewed. And now you see pretty girls on the hood of cars to sell hamburgers for Hardee's. What is that? The daughters of God, who God made special, that would be ones that we would protect even as we love our own bodies, instead are objects to exploit in every culture around the world. How horrible. 
And so thinking about Mother's Day and thinking about my own daughters and thinking about what can I tell them that would encourage them and remind them of what God's doing in their lives. I'm telling you, God made you so special. He cares for you. He knit you together in your mother's womb, not just because he wanted to, but because he wanted you. He made you. He formed you and made you special. And he desires you and he wants you. And God will send another Adam who will take us from the sin and death and destruction that we walk into because the truth is man fails completely. And God tells him in that same garden, don't eat of this one tree, anything else you want, but not that one tree. And almost right away, man comes to it and sees that it looks good. And, the, and Eve is deceived. And she says, wow, it looks good for food. And this serpent comes and says, did God really say that you shouldn't eat that? And she goes, I don't know. It looks okay. And the serpent tells Eve, God's trying to hold you down. He's trying to hold you back. If you eat it, you'll be like him. He knows that. He doesn't want you to have it. And so she takes the food and she bites into it and eats it. And then you're ready for this. She hands it to her husband. And the Bible says, who was there with her? Because a deceiver came to flesh of my flesh and bones of my bones. A deceiver came and whispered a lie to her that she listened to and thought about. And the one who is there who is supposed to protect her like his own body does not step in to say, no, God did say. Instead, he lets her eat the fruit. And then he eats it too. And man and woman together fail. They don't follow God. They disobey. And sin enters into our existence. Death enters into our existence. We're cast out of the presence of God. But God makes a wonderful promise. Out of the seed of the woman, a son will come someday. And he will save us. Time passes. We see Moses delivering the people. And everybody thinks, is this the son? See King David come up. And everybody thinks, is this the son who's going to deliver us? And then this man Jesus is born. God himself becomes man on our behalf. And who does he choose but a, a teenage child, Virgin Mary, and says, you're going to carry me. It's astounding. Astounding. And God puts on flesh for us. And he comes, he lives a perfect life. He never sins, he never disobeys. But innocently, as a lamb who goes to the slaughter without opening his mouth, he goes to the cross for us. And on a Roman cross, which is the sign of a traitor's death, his hands are nailed to the wood, his feet is nailed to the wood, he's risen up in front of everybody, and he dies on that cross for us. And hanging there dead in the late time of the afternoon, some of the officials come to the Romans and they say, will you just make sure that everybody's dead? Because tomorrow's a holy day for us. And we don't want to deal with this death, even though we asked you to kill these people. And so the Roman soldiers say, yes, we're happy to oblige, because this is what we do. And so they go around to all the people hanging on a cross these thieves that are on either side of Jesus and Jesus in the middle, and they take big sticks and they break their legs because the way that you die in crucifixion is asphyxiation. As your, as your chest comes down and you can't get your breath because you're hanging by nails from your hands and you're struggling to pull yourself up and there's no hope for you. And so as these guys are suffocating to death now with legs broken, they come to Jesus to break his legs and find him already dead already in a deep sleep. 
and sort of choose to see whether or not he's actually dead, what do they do? They take a spear and they cut into his side. And I'm telling you today that God formed from the new Adam a bride out of another broken side. He made his people out of the sacrifice of his perfect son who died for us. And as he was hanging there, now his side is split open and a new bride is formed. Because God loves his people and he's so good and so majestic and so amazing and in all that he does, it's just perfect. Jesus, dead on the cross for us, is dead three days. But on the third day, he comes to life again. And standing there outside the tomb, he's now in a garden. And Mary Magdalene, this disciple who loves Jesus, comes to the tomb to put some burial ointments on the, on the grave and do some different things. Jesus comes to life. Angels tell everybody what's going on. Mary lingers in the garden, unsure of exactly what to do. And Jesus comes and stands next to her. And the Bible says that she turns around and seeing him, assumes him to be who? Do you remember? The gardener. And she says, sir, if you've taken him away, his body, because the tomb's empty, just please tell me where you've laid him. Just please tell me. And Jesus looks at her and he says, Mary. In saying her name, she recognizes, this is Jesus. He's alive. He's the Lord. And she comes over to him and wraps her arms around him and grabs onto him, holding him tight. And he says, Mary, he says, don't cling to me. My time hasn't come. Go tell my brothers instead. But in that one moment as she grabs onto Jesus, you see a picture of the new Adam who God has brought, the new king of the earth, the God himself who is now raised from the dead, clinging to another Mary in a garden. Why? Because God has made a new bride. And that bride is not just Mary Magdalene. It's all of his people, her as a representative. That he would take one people, formed together, to be his bride. So daughters, does God, does he love women? Of course. Of course he does. He made you. He formed you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. The most intricate parts of you, he mapped it out. But all people of God, he also loves his bride. And for all of us who can accept it and receive it and kneel before him, we are his in the same intimacy that now the first Adam had at last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, because the old has been done away with. And the Bible tells us if you believe in Jesus, you become a new creation in Christ, that he's formed you anew, that he's taken away all the sin, he's made you righteous in himself, he's clothed you with his own righteousness. And so now you stand before your Savior in the intimacy of knowing him. And this is the great truth that we have. And the great hope that we have is not just that God loves us from a distance or cares for us, but in the intimacy of Psalm 139. He cares for us. He holds us. He knits us together. He brings us into himself. He knows even our prayers before we pray them. He is our hope. He is our life. He is our righteousness. And he's the one who deals with all his enemies. What a great hope. What a great God that we serve. Why do I say that to us today? Because it's Mother's Day, partly. But also because if we took hold of this truth, if we loved people the way God loves people, it'd be amazing. 
If you viewed yourself the way God views you, your life would change. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know his hope, if you have not bowed the knee to him, like Mary in the garden, if you've not clung on to him for dear life, then I'm telling you today, give yourself to him. What does that look like? It looks like saying, Lord, I know that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. Forgive me, God. I want to be yours. If maybe it's been a long time and you felt distant from God and the intimacy that I'm talking about seems like something that's far away, then today be the day that you submit before him and say, Lord, I know you're, you know my prayers even before I pray them. And so, Lord, I'm asking you in Jesus' name, fill me afresh because I trust you. And I'm telling you the resounding word you're going to hear is, I never left you. You could come to heaven and I, I'm there. You could try to go down to Sheol in death and you will find me. You can go anywhere you want. I have never left you or forsaken you. And know the peace of the Savior who has wrapped his arms around you because you are his. Amen? Let's, can we all stand? We're going to pray together. Father, thank you that you're a good king. Thank you, Lord, for your grace, for your mercy in your life. Father, today as we celebrate moms and we thank you for all the great things that you've done, I pray, Lord, that you would instill deep in our hearts the revelation of what your son has done, what your Christ has done to make us yours. Father, I pray that you will fill us to overflowing, that we would know and see you and serve you and obey you and love you. Father, help us to see as you see. Lord, help us to see other people the way that you see them. Help us, Lord, to see ourselves the way that, that you see us. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name for every man, woman, child here, every person, that we would know for certain that you are our God, that you have called us, that you will never leave us or forsake us, that you've cleansed us from all unrighteousness, and that your death and resurrection is better and enough, more than anything we can ever bring to you. And so, Lord, we cling to you like Mary in that garden, saying, Lord, Lord, you're our everything. Thank you, God. Lord, I pray for blessing on every person here. Father, I pray that they would know the great grace of the Father, that they would know the rule of the Son, and they would know the power of the Holy Spirit as you lead us through this day. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Mother's Day. Give us about two minutes, and we'll have special prizes for all the ladies. God bless you guys.